Bravo 16 podcast episode 006 with former Navy SEAL officer Mike Lohorn. Had a great podcast with Mike talking about uh, his background. He went to the United States Naval Academy and went to BUDS as an officer. Talked about his time going through BUDS and uh, multiple teams, multiple deployments. And then we talked a lot about when he got out of the military and networking and the other things he did that he found led to success and some little tips and ideas to help you veterans out there. So enjoy the episode with Mike Lohorn. Yeah, it's good, man. Well, let's get going. Uh, Bravo 16 podcast episode 006 with former Navy SEAL officer, Mike Lohorn. Good to have you here, buddy. Thanks to be here. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. We've been talking about doing this for a while, and uh, you got a little sidetracked with uh, having a child. Congratulations, mm-hmm. by the way. Thank you. That's a, uh, I've been through that twice, and I can kind of remember those days when uh, you're up at all hours, and plus you work a full-time job, too. So It's funny how you don't remember it is when uh, yeah. when the pain's really high. Yeah, yeah. You just forget it. Yeah. Your body blocks it out. Yeah. Well, and you know, again, my youngest is almost thirteen, so it's like I'm on to the new journey of teenagers, and my Ooh. oldest is almost fifteen. So I'm starting to see. Okay, this is what all everyone says. You need to read books about. You need to mm-hmm. study about. Get that going. But they're smarter. They're smarter, and they really want to hang out with their friends and they don't necessarily want to hang out with the dad who's not that cool anymore no doubt <laughs> but no uh, doubt. but yeah anyway enough of that um i'm really excited to talk to you um especially in your background naval academy you know your your whole career and kind of also importantly after you got out how mm-hmm. was that because that's our whole mission here is kind of helping people look at different you know ways and different things they can think about when they're getting out because a lot of people don't put a lot of thought into that so uh but let's go back Mm -hmm. to the uh the beginning where'd you grow up where'd you go to high school like kind of tell me a little bit about your your pre-military life so i grew up in st louis missouri went to chaminade college prep okay all right and that school has uh really been putting out some great athletes i was gonna say i think i've heard of that school yeah you might have you yeah. got bradley beal mm-hmm. jason tatum yeah paul stastny the kachuk brothers i mean there was a period there where i guess we've had two or three gatorade player of the years for high school basketball okay you've got a couple olympians okay you know bradley beal and jason tatum just made the uh tokyo olympics um uh, we had six guys go first round in the NHL draft a couple years back. Wow. Insane. Wow. Insane. And what was your sport in high school? I swam, dude. Oh, really? <laughs> ah, Navy SEAL. Got it. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, man. Not nearly as cool as those guys, but they were, um, I mean, you could just you could just tell these guys were gifted. Yeah, yeah. Even in seventh grade. Yeah. Uh, like Paul Stassi and I went to school together. We were in second grade when his dad got traded from the uh uh new jersey devils i mean this dude was an animal 
And even then. And when you did you grow up swimming? Were you always into swimming, or did it just kind of? Yes, I swam a uh, swam a fair amount. Like middle school, elementary six school, six years old. Yeah, really. Got into it too early. And who got you into swimming? I mean, was that I don't I don't know anything about St. Louis, but is that a big swimming town or? I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. I just uh, had a neighborhood swim league. Okay. Showed some natural ability, and then one of the coaches told my fam, maybe you should. Maybe you should look into this competitive swimming. Maybe it might be of interest to uh, to Mike. To little, little Mikey? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then I took to it, and I stuck with it. You know, I look back, probably should have played golf or water polo or done something. I don't know. That seemed to kind of help you onto your next career. So you're in high school. Are you starting to have success in it? Is it a thing where you do competitively? You're like, wow, I could actually see myself doing this, you know, past high school? Or Yeah, I, th- I think there was some there was some – fleeting moments okay. of success okay of not a whole lot okay not a whole lot but enough that you know a couple schools uh expressed some interest and then one of them happened to be um uh, actually that's not true navy didn't express any interest at all <laughs> <laughs> okay i looked at five other schools to get recruited by and um Navy Navy was like, I don't know, man. Do you really want to come here? Really? Maybe. Okay. Did they recruit for sports? How does that work? Because I've talked to different athletes from the Naval Academy. They they do. Okay. And they, you know, I think on a certain certain type of sport, they do really well. Mm-hmm. So wrestling, crew, swimming's done really well recently. Water polo for a time when I was there was making the final four year over year which is hard to do as an East Coast school. And then you've got uh, lacrosse. So, I mean, aside from lacrosse, the majority of sports that really matriculate into um, into BUDS mm-hmm. are the ones where you don't get a whole lot of fans. Uh, and Navy okay. does a pretty good job recruiting those type of okay. athletes. But the Naval Academy is not recruiting you out of high school. No. Were you, were you even thinking about it? How did you go down that road? So the way it worked out is one of the top schools I was looking at, and I you know, thought I had a great shot getting in. Turns out, didn't get in, and that's all right. <laughs> okay, all right. You know, sometimes the best thing that can happen to you is to, to get told no, and you yes. shift uh, your career. And so my sister at the time was at the academy. Okay. So I talked to her. She said, why don't you, uh, why don't you call the Navy coach? And I was like, ah. Maybe, maybe I will. Maybe I won't. But out of respect, I will okay. call them up. It was right before the Army Navy swimming, which is really a big deal at school. And I got maybe a minute worth of his time. And he was the <laughs> assistant coach. Okay. Called him up. I was like, "Hey, I'm interested." And he was like, "Okay." Long pause. I was like, "Well, what do guys? Uh, what do they do at school?" And he said, "Well, the past five years, we've had every captain go on to be a SEAL." And we pretty much print three things, SEALs, EOD, F-18 pilots. If that's interesting to you, this is the team for you. And I got to go because we're prepping for Army-Navy. And that was the call. <laughs> I didn't consider being a SEAL until that phone call. Didn't know it was a real path. Really? And from then on, I was like, I'm going to do exactly that. I'm going to swim. I'll be captain. I'll be SEAL. And I did every one of them. Wow. So, so once he says that, do you have to go through the process? How do you get into the U.S. Naval Academy? You apply, and I applied maybe 
the last day they had the admissions window open. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was super late, dude. Don't super you have to have late. like a congressional letter? Yeah, too? thank God. It, uh, there was a kid who dropped out in St. Louis. Okay. I got it from this guy, Lacey Clay. Okay. Who just got uh, voted out of office uh -oh. for, I don't know, he was in there for decades, I guess. C Congressman? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, some would say it's controversial, maybe not. Oh, okay. I don't know. Interesting. All it right. depends. And he, um, you know, I got in because one of the folks in his office, I think, came in as a patient of my old man's. Oh. And was and he was talking about it. And they're like, oh, yeah, we just had this person drop. And he's like, oh, you got to go in there. You got to go in there. So I went in there. <laughs> and, I mean, by the grace of God, I got it because I went to another interview and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Yeah. Wasn't prepared for a single question. Just bombed the shit out of it. <laughs> So wait, your dad's doctor. Yeah. It was. Did you have any military in your family? Mm, in, in, in the background. My uh, grandfather. Okay. Korea. Okay. World War Two. All right. Navy also. He was Navy on one of them and Marine Corps on the other. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Never talked about it. Yeah, I've heard. I heard a lot of people say that too from that generation. Yeah, and then when. I had gotten back from Guam, and he was starting to go into the, the twilight phase of his career and his life. Then he didn't have those same barriers where he wouldn't talk to you about something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And because I knew he had staged out of Guam at a certain point, you know, I talked to him like, "Do you remember this about Guam?" And there's a certain part of his of his life, really maybe 35 and younger, he was incredibly sharp on still. And he, he didn't have that block up okay, yeah. when he would talk to you back. Like, oh, you're my grandson. I'm not going to talk to you about what I did in Guam. Right. Uh, but then at this point, he was just like, oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. Really? And it's like you could see in his eyes. He, he was reliving memories yeah. that he hadn't. Uh, Plus, you were in the secret circle. You were in the Navy. So yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like, I can tell you things now. Yeah. Oh, man. It's like he'd be, you know, with his walker trying to get his steps in on yeah. the street and I'd walk with him and talk with him. Oh, and it was great. Awesome. It was awesome. So he's in, he was in Korea and World War II. Correct. Operating off, off uh, boats. Was he at, on different islands in the Pacific? Did you get kind of the whole story from him? or You know, he staged out there, and I would assume that he, he hopped yeah. from island to island at, at that phase and he was young he was probably 17 18 years old that pacific yep theater was brutal brutal oh my gosh brutal wow and then so before you got to the naval academy your sister was at the naval academy that's correct how, now how did she get involved in that well i don't know she just had this interest from very early on that was the place for her okay. and if it wasn't navy it was going to be west point interesting and so you know really didn't pay enough attention to what she was talking about because I eventually went there and didn't have a clue. And I think that's really a testament to the transition. Sometimes you just go somewhere. You really don't have a clue what it's about. And you get there and you're like, ooh. <laughs> ooh. So she's when, – when you went into the Naval Academy, was she still in? Yeah, she was a year ahead of me. So. Oh, just one year. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. that, that Was that cool to have a sibling there to kind oh, of awesome. show you the ropes a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, what did she do? Would she, would she go to the fleet? Yeah, she went to the fleet, first ship out of Sasebo, did that for a couple of years. Then she went to Jacksonville, then Orlando, got out, went to Notre Dame, got her MBA, 
and has lived in Columbus since. No kidding. That's yeah. great. Uh, yeah. Interesting. I mean, I need, may need to hear her story now. I have the Lowhorn siblings in together. So, okay, yep. back up. So you apply, you get a congressman to write you a letter. Do you think you're going to get in at that point, or you have no clue? No clue. Yeah. I mean, honest to God, no they're clue. they're not recruiting you, and the no, guy yeah. gave yeah. you one-minute you know, so conversation. Because uh, a couple, when I was a senior on the team, you know, we were sitting on the pool deck waiting for practice, and we were talking to the coach about, you know, how much help did you give us on admissions? And, you know, there's six guys remaining after the initial class, maybe 10, mm-hmm. 14 guys. And he only helped two guys get in. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that so much. It's funny how coaches just, I had the same thing in high school when I was going to USC trying to play baseball. I think my coach coach did zero to help that it's just but you know they're on to their next team too sometimes so you you apply there you apply to a couple other places and then you got a letter in the mail saying you're in yeah maybe a week before the nc2a deadline to declare you're gonna okay participate and you really didn't know where you're getting to because i have a lot of friends that went to the naval academy and they're like it was hell so you had you heard from your sister was she warning you do it don't do it oh man she applied so early and then my brother he applied so early I mean, they both got in August, maybe, okay. maybe September. I mean, their okay. entire senior year, it's like, yeah, I'm going there. So wait, your brother also went to the Naval Academy? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Now, is he your age? He's six years younger. Six years younger. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll have to talk about him, too, then. Uh, so you get in, and you're like, you have to go right right to the the Naval Academy. It's time to go when you get the letter, or do you, is it? No, I got it. I got it. I don't know. Maybe mid-april okay all right you had some time then and then you know i graduated two weeks later okay from high school okay maybe three weeks later so it was it was uh started to get a little nerve-wracking when everybody's asking where you go and it's like i don't know i don't know i I really don't know i may have to go get a job Um, (laughs) yeah it's it's lean times are (laughs) we're very close to those uh hard conversations we're gonna have to have with mom and dad and then are you uh are you on the swim team or you you have to show up and you'll figure it out when you get there are you having conversations with the coach or none none you, none you go you get into the naval academy you'll yeah. figure that out later uh yeah okay yeah gotcha so and how was the shock of being what do they call them a plebe the first year is that what it so is so when you're a plebe you have to select there's a sport you're going to play over the okay. summer and okay. you do like two three times a week okay and if you're going to try out for a sport that's when you you know, pick that sport. So if you want to make the football team or you're a recruited football player, then you go into, you know, training camp because that's the the time of the year. Okay. And then for me, it was, you know, show up to the swim practice. And, you know, there's a bunch of guys there. They all knew each other because they all, you know, were on the same recruiting class. Oh. And I just showed up and they're like, and you are. <laughs> Mike, you know, I'm just happy to be here, guys. That's... <laughs> and then when you started the practices, can you were you holding your own? You're like, oh, I can do this. Or were you... you know, I thought so. <laughs> I thought so. But then at the end of the summer, I had one of the graduate assistant coaches. He, he just uh, graduated. I think he was either valedictorian in the class or number two in the class. He was a terrific guy, Tim Lombardi. Anyway, he came up to me. And he's like, hey, man. He, he pulls me and this other guy, Steve, over, and he's like, hey, I just want to let you guys know you're both on the cut line. Ooh. All right? And because of your work ethic, you know, we're, we're going to keep you on, but just know you're on the cut line. Okay. All right. And I was like, all right. I was like, that seems a little strange to me because I felt <laughs> like I was beating most people. 
Isn't but, it, isn't swimming just a timed event? You're either the fastest or the slowest, right? Yeah, and it was funny because in, in my event I was the fastest in the pool, but it, you know it didn't matter. Oh, okay. Because they didn't really know who I was. So they just wanted to give you shit, just to keep you working hard, basically. It might have been that way, but I don't think they talked to everybody like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, man! Oh, it might funny. have been. And what's the big picture like at the Naval Academy? Is it constant? If you're a plebe, you're a first year, are you just getting hazed and run and this and that? I it's mean, it's not necessarily you're getting hazed. Okay, all right. Because I think hazing is one you got you you don't want it. Okay. Okay. But there's certain things about the school that you really take on and it's a very competitive environment. All right. And I think that's what makes buds tough is everything is timed. Yeah. Everything is graded. Everything at the Naval Academy at the time was graded. So you felt like that kind of set you up a little bit for success down the road because you were already in that mindset of everything I'm doing is graded, everything's timed. But you didn't feel like it was just brutal, horrible. You're like, I just I I gotta go through this. It was the hardest four years, for sure. <laughs> okay, all right. I mean, okay. it's hard because they just want to see how far you can go in everything. Okay. Academics, all military, right. sports, socially. I mean, it was just a, a very charged group of folks that okay. may not have been born with the most talent, but uh, they really wanted the the absolute most okay. out of what they were given. Okay, You know what I mean? And so the first year you swim, are you on the team during the competition? Dude, it was like every week they're like, oh, you're on the cut line. You're on the cut line. <laughs> and then I go to the Army-Navy meet and I was, you know, rose to the top of the depth chart and they're like, all right, you made the team. It's like, this is so weird. But anyway, that was the story for four more years. Real Every year you're yeah, low horn, you're about to miss the cut. Yeah, yeah pretty yeah. much, except my senior year. Okay. Yeah. So your first year you missed the cut, but you're placing in, in tournaments. Yeah, in, yeah. in swim meets, yeah. And who are you guys playing against in swim meets? Are you like in the normal like NCAA group? You're going to play against different colleges? Yeah, and... so we straddled at the time two conferences. One was the Patriot League, okay, which, you know, great schools, Bucknell, Lehigh, and the like, but, yeah. you know, their swim programs weren't as, uh, they weren't as competitive as the EISL, which was the eight Ivy Leagues in Navy. Okay. And that was a more competitive group for our capability at the time. And then by the end of my senior year, you know, we got kicked out. <laughs> Wait, you got kicked out of the YASL or whatever? EISL is yeah. like interscholastic swim league or some bullshit like that. Anyway, we got kicked out of it because, because? They're, they're like, we want to have our own league. Oh, and come like, on. Of course you do. Yeah, of course. Of course you do. Yeah. But during those times, are you, as you're swimming, are you are you competitive enough where you're like, man, I could maybe do this as professional someday? Are no, you, no way. No, you're just Absolutely enjoying not. it. You're just loving have a sport. And are you on the SEAL track at that time? Pretty much day one. Really? So yeah. what, how does that look in the Naval Academy? I think the first step is you just got to figure out who are the guys that are around you that want that too. Okay. Because you're going to train with them. And you're going to do a lot of professional military development together. And then you've got a bunch of teammates that go on and do it too. Okay. Which is really great because you show up and you see what the seniors are doing, the juniors, the sophomores. And then you get to find your peer set and the, the class you're in. And then as soon as, you know, before you know it, you're you're one of the guys doing the the dive screener, the aerosol, or you do your mini bud screener and 
Is that during, you're doing all those screeners during Naval Academy time? Yeah. Okay, so in the beginning you had people doing that for you, and when you become a junior and senior, you're doing it for the younger classes. No, so like the, the mini boat screener happens your junior year. Okay. And depending on your performance, then you get an opportunity to go, um, you know, augment with the team for oh, a few weeks over the summer. Really? Then they screen you again. So then, you know, there's just layer over layer oh, of selection. So by the time, you know, you go for your final interview, it's, you know, who in your class should join you. In your final interview, you're a senior and you want to get, do they call it a buds contract? Is that what they call it when you get out? Or do you just pick where you want to go? You pick the, you pick the, you know, for us it was Naval Special Warfare. Okay. So you select that and then, you know, you know, pending your interview performance, then you get, you get picked up. Okay. Okay. But, but you know. You get a contract to buds. Okay. You know, gotcha. Gotcha. Long way to go. Yeah. And so during your uh, time at the academy, any funny, crazy stories, anything that stands out where you, I've heard so many stories of pranks that people play. Maybe it was more in the old days. I yeah. The, yeah. I yeah. Mean, I never grew up in a family of pranksters. So <laughs> I'd look around. I'm like, where do you guys come up with this stuff? We're like, what kind of stuff are they doing? Do you remember anything that sticks out? Well, Army Navy Week was a big one. A little okay. bit for the Arm or the the Navy Air Force Week, but you know, you'd get, you'd have the brigade have, you know, first or second week back, there'd be a giant clam bake. Okay. So you'd have maybe fifteen thousand crabs that they bring in for the four thousand forty five hundred midshipmen, and you'd have some people that would just put those shells in a bag, okay. and just just let it decompose for months <laughs> and then you know they would they pour it all over your room oh, or some something disgusting. like that but that's i mean a... some of them were very methodical really thought out like, we had these mattresses that had this nylon finish to it and you'd have these folks from time to time you would just put it in somebody's shower because you had your shower inside your room mm -hmm. and then it would almost create a wall okay and because of that nylon it, it was like waterproof so then you just turn the shower on and you plug the hole, and it's like, all right, now you've, you've got an entire shower column full of water. <laughs> oh, God. Just little things like that. Or, right. uh, but as I look back, I was like, man, that it was a great way to have fun yeah, in yeah. a very intense environment. To break up the intensity, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah and you got to have a sense of humor because I think if there's anything that you need to have as life goes on is – you know, it's a, it's a heck of a grind. Yeah. And if you can't laugh about it and yeah. you can't poke fun at each other, then it's it's uh, it's gonna be pretty miserable. It's gonna wear you down a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then were there people as you were becoming a senior and you're doing your interviews? Are you interviewing with Naval Special Warfare? Are they like deciding where they're gonna let you select yeah. that as your? Yeah. So when we we did the interview. We had an O3 on the yard. He was the seal on the yard, and then maybe there was another seal here and there in the um, in the you know the, the faculty, mm -hmm. let's say. Mm -hmm. And then they'd be on. Then you have some folks that came up from the Pentagon. Then you had the detailer, you know, a couple other folks. So it ended up being probably six, eight tried and wears on the board. Okay. And how many people with with your from your senior class were able to select naval special warfare? Is it like a handful of people? Is it like twenty people? We we had a big group. Yeah. We had twenty six. Okay. Then there was like a med role. Then they brought one up from the alternate list. Okay. And then they brought the guy back who had the medical okay. role. 
And I've heard it's hard for officers to get into buds because correct me if I'm wrong, they don't have a lot of officers that go through buds, right? It's like majority enlisted. Is that correct? Um, you know, maybe at the very beginning. Okay. You know, I, I think with our class, we had about 20 O's to start, maybe 12, 14 of them finished. Okay. So your success rate's higher. Than but, but you're 20 O's out of 180 total, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a small yeah. percentage. Small percentage. Yeah. And then from my year group of the 27 that was that were originally selected, 26 made it. Oh, wow. Okay. And then the, the next year, the 2009 guys, they had 100% success wow. rate. Wow. So, so maybe that screening is very valuable. Maybe by the years and years of training and screening, they're like, okay, we can tell the guys who have what it takes to get through this. It's hard to say because, no. you know, 2007 was below 50%. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say yeah. uh, who's going to make it. I know. You just yeah. you, you do as many tests as you can, but at the end of the day, it's really a fight between your ears. And you graduate from the Naval Academy, and then how long are you waiting until you go to BUDS? Four weeks. What? <laughs> really? Got basket leave. I went home. <gasps> Holy cow. And I started training with this guy back home. His name is Keith Hauser. Okay. And he runs this uh, – training program called shark fitness and then there was another guy from my high school class and naval academy class kurt fallon he was getting ready for tbs so him and i we went out there and just started training with him we would do you know physical stuff for you know five to six hours a day and then we started shooting and at the time you know i hadn't really shot okay ever all right and i remember when we had the seal practicum class so all the all the guys that got selected we had this one class and one of these days we went and shot and I mean, no joke from like a seven meter range. I probably missed <laughs> over half the shots. I mean, it's like I couldn't hit a pumpkin from seven yards. And Did that freak you out a little bit. I was like, fuck, man, I got a long way to go. <laughs> you know, we had this one guy in the class and he had all the gear and he shot incredibly well and he's the guy that didn't make it and so at the time i was like oh fuck man look at this guy he's he's got like he's got this stuff that looks like really you know coarse backpack material and like, like at the time i didn't know what cordura was or right, any of this shit right. you know i just had no idea but some of these guys they really researched and they ha they got all the gear but then they didn't make it it's like well you don't need the gear too worried about their gucci gear instead yeah of yeah but anyway he had down. a good shot group and then there's another guy on the shooting team oh. and of course he put like every single round in the same hole. <laughs> and you're like, I'm, I look over this other dude I was swimming with at the time. And I was like, fuck, dude, you and me, we got we to gotta do some work. We got to swim our asses off. <laughs> oh, man. But anyway, so I work with that guy, Keith Hauser, out of St. Louis. And I mean, by the end of those four weeks, dude, I was, I was crisp. You were ready to go. Yeah. So you show up. What's your buds class? 273. 27 guys from the Naval Academy with you? No, it was okay. about five to six per class. And okay. They spread them they out. They spread them out, okay. Across the year. Because one thing is they don't want to put too many of the Academy O's together. Okay, gotcha. Which I get. I get. And so you want to have a nice balance between the ROTC guys and then the... Uh, like the OCS the guys? The OCS. Okay, got yeah. So how many total were in your class officers? 20, 20, 20 to start. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, uh, how was first phase? I mean, did it, were you kind of prepared or does was it like, man, nothing will prepare you for this. Hmm. I was as prepared as I could have been. Okay. But when you were into it, you're like, man, there's, I'm, 
that were there times during the first couple of weeks you're like no or what was your mindset well there's there's going to be something in the mix that just brings you to your knees <laughs> and what was that for you um anything where i had to have my hands go over my shoulders oh wow okay so believe it or not my shoulders were just completely wrecked from swimming and yeah. so and plus they were weak you know uh so so logs okay. log pt anything overhead i i just sucked yeah i was terrible um don't you have to hold the boats over your head too sometimes yeah but that's on your neck uh, okay all right i had a strong neck thank god okay but if i had to use my hands i was fucked yeah. i mean i was so weak yeah. which was really hard and i think that's the thing that really gets guys when they go through the program mm -hmm. is that you're not going to be strong in everything. Right. And if you're going to be weak in something, you want to be weak in swimming because <laughs> nobody thinks it's cool. Which is the thing you're the most, you're the strongest at. Yeah. yeah. No respect. No respect at all. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's funny. Yeah. So were they, did, were they just working you over for the log step? They'd see you. Yeah. I had this that. one guy in my butts class. I, I think he's still in, but uh, I remember we were on our first deployment in Afghanistan together maybe maybe two and a half years from that moment, maybe three years from that moment. And he's like, man, I thought you were going to quit that day. <laughs> I was like, you kidding me, bro? <laughs> you, you didn't believe that I could get it done? He's like, dude, it looked rough. It looked real rough. Oh, my gosh. That is crazy. Well, that's interesting because I've heard yeah. that from a lot. There's always something. Some people don't know how to swim. Some people suck at diving. But yeah. over the head stuff for first phase, huh? Yeah. And, and if you're going to struggle on something, again, you want it to be swimming. Right. The last thing you want to struggle on yeah. is log PT because <laughs> it's a strength evolution. Okay. And everything everybody does is based on how strong are you. Oh. And cardio events, not cool. Certainly not in the water. But, uh, you know, if you're not a fast runner, but you're a good dude and you're strong, people are like, ah, he's a good dude. But if you're... <laughs> You're a fast runner, fast swimmer, and you struggle. They're like, fuck this guy. Did you uh, struggle with running at all, or you were fine with that, too? Not really, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when it came to cardio events, I was... You were okay. I had a pretty decent base. So first couple of weeks, you made it through. There was no time when you're like, I don't know if I can do this. Were you kind of just head down, you're not even thinking about it, or were there some deep thoughts at some point? No, the thoughts I had were just that I'm not hitting the measure that I want to hit. Mm. You know what okay, I mean? Yeah, I do. Because yeah. sometimes you, you know, I think at a certain point, if you really want to get successful, the only person you have to measure yourself against is your own standard yeah. of where you want to be. And there was a couple of evolutions that I just, I didn't meet the performance I wanted. Okay. Yeah. And, and that was tough because then you got to look around and then as a bow crew, you know, bow crew leader, you're, you're trying to lead from the front. And if you were way in the back, that was that was hard for me to uh, try to lead from the front, yeah. even though I, I was getting rocked and something. Well, how does it work with officers? So they set it up where you guys are they're already training you as a leader because the officers are mm -hmm. leading the men. So you're yeah. in charge of what a boat crew is that? Yeah, that what six, it is. Five six guys. Okay, and mm -hmm. your job's to keep them in line, keep them going. You, yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. How yeah. how was your boat crew? Was it a good group? Did they end up making it through? To be honest with you, you really don't even remember anybody until Hell Week because really? you just cycle through so many because it's based on your height, uh, okay. and so you cycle through a bunch, and then 
you know, you're doing all this stuff that, you know, most enlisted guys really don't like, checking haircuts, uniforms, uh, and that sort of thing, because those are really easy things to nitpick you on yeah. if you're an instructor. And so you got to be the bad guy and be like, all right, you got to shine your boots or your uniform sucks. Go get another one. Okay. Your room is dirty. Or, you have to do that. Yeah. So you're automatically learning about that kind of hard stuff you have to do with the enlisted guys yeah and i remember as a midshipman i i never had the best haircut uniform or any of that and there's a guy that was in my buds class he was a five striper so the academy six is the highest stripe and you're the brigade midshipman okay. commander uh, and this guy was a five striper so yep. it, it really high just okay. one rung below and every time i saw this guy i was like oh my god this guy <laughs> This guy. He's the kind of guy that would turn you in because your standard wasn't high enough as a mid. Oh. I really didn't have any patience for that. Um, but tell, then yeah. but then when we got to Buds, I realized I had to get oh. tighter on my professional, you know, presentation, right. my military bearing. And he had to mellow the fuck out. Mm. So we met in the middle. Yeah. And then we became great friends. Get out of here. Isn't yeah. that funny how that works? That's out. unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean he's you know, one of the dearest friends I've made in the in the community. And it's funny how when you get into that uh, type of environment where you're now in charge of somebody and their welfare, you got you to gotta tune it up. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've always wondered how the officer, you know, uh, world works and buds because it seems like not only you're trying to get through, but you're trying to lead a pack and doing new things. And mm -hmm. So you get to uh, Hell Week. How was it Hell Week for you? Was it hell? No. <laughs> you just no. You you had it figured out a little bit. I I think it just fell into my yeah. my skill set. You know, there was they they didn't do anything overhead. Oh. So throughout the whole week, there wasn't really an evolution that I was, uh, not. You know, really good at. Oh, that's good. But then we did play water polo Wednesday night, and I was just I was a sore loser and. You know, I paid for that. <laughs> What'd they make you do? <laughs> oh, it's just, it, it was more of like a, a social shaming. Okay. <laughs> and I look back on that and I'm like, oh, that's, that's such a great man to man lesson. Okay. That if you get beat real bad, you know, you can't throw a fit. You just, you got to own that you weren't good enough. You forgot you were in hell week. You were the competitive Mike showed up and was like, I don't want to lose this. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. it's like every water pool player was on the other team. And, oh. I mean, we were just, I mean, we couldn't, we were just so bad. Right. I was like, you know. Interesting. Interesting. A any other funny stories from first phase? Anything when you're paddling around the island and s someone sees a mermaid? I've heard stories of hallucinations because you guys don't get to oh, eat man. anything. There's a ton of them. But, you know, I got to say overall... Probably the hardest I've laughed is in Buds. Yeah. And a lot of people look at it as this crucible of just toughness. You know, for me, that really wasn't, that wasn't um, like the big takeaway. The takeaway was like you were with some really, really awesome folks. Oh, that's great. And you get to self-select to a certain degree. Yeah. And it's, it's so pure and such a meritocracy that you perform well you go to the next phase or next evolution. And if you don't perform well, you know, it's not you. It's just uh, it's the standard. Yeah. And you got to meet it or move on. And I I look back at that, and it's so pure. 
I was just going to say it's the purest form of, of selection, right? Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. I think at the time, though, you, you, you'll put some extra baggage on your shoulders that yeah. you don't need to. But, yeah. And I remember when I was uh, – I had just gotten picked up, and I was in that practicum class, and we had this guy, Wyman Howard, who's uh, still in. He's the uh, – I think he's the guy in charge of all the SEALs. Yeah. And he he was like, I wish I could go back and do BUDS again. And it took me years before I was like, 100%. Yeah. It would be so much fun. That's when the brotherhood is established, right? Yeah, it takes a few years for you to get yeah. past it, and then you see it, and then you really understand the whole process, and you're like, oh, man. And then second phase, dive phase, how was that for you? Water water boy, so you're like, no problem? Or was there some uh, difficulty getting through second phase? So I went through dive school with the Navy, and I was like, oh, man, I got this. Okay. But that's not true because there's a very strict procedure that you have to adhere to. And and that was just another great example of um, you got to be very adaptable, different systems. And and in that sense, it was, um, you know, there's some stress when you're trying to hold your breath underwater and you're mm-hmm. getting you know, tossed and turned a little bit. But at the end of the day, I mean, great, great phase because the impact goes down quite a bit from first phase and then. You you do a bunch of dives, which thank God we don't do them a whole lot in the teams. Yeah, you know because they're they're freezing, <laughs> they're, they're freezing, tough, right? They're tough. Yeah, and you're just you're sitting there. It's dark. It's boring. Yeah, you're just looking at this compass <laughs> for hours. I mean hours. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I remember on my first uh, cycle and workup, we had you know, 15, 18 guys in the in the platoon. And by the end of the block of dive training in Key West, I think we might have had like eight guys in the water, maybe six. Really? Because everybody's like, oh, <laughs> medic. <laughs> you know, I, I'm getting vented. I, you know, I'm getting very irritable. The water's too hot. You know, I, I, uh, you, I, I got ringing in my ears. Just, it's like, oh. <laughs> and, um, and nobody wants to do it right. I, I don't blame them right it's true and i'm sure when you're active duty you probably didn't even do any dive missions your whole time there i mean maybe you did i don't know absolutely but, not yeah that's what everybody absolutely said. not it's because funny. if you're just a regular team why yeah. wouldn't you let the team that focuses specifically yeah. on diving Good do it point. yeah their equipment's better yeah their focus is better they yeah. screen better <laughs> so second phase no hiccup pool comp no problem nope really i mean you know some some things you gotta yeah. do a couple yeah you know shots at but nothing it, big there no because it, it the big thing there is a tread fell right my i was my gonna say set. now the, the the water side helps you even though you said it didn't help the first phase second still phase. no respect <laughs> So then third phase land warfare, and you don't shoot that well. How does that go? You know, after doing that training with uh, with Keith, my, my shot placement was strong. Oh, good. Okay, Real good. strong. Good. Yeah. How many officers are in third phase now? Same same amount? You know, Probably eight. 12. Okay, so you lost eight officers. So we lost a few. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, are you still in a leadership p- position in land warfare? Are you leading, you know, platoons and doing all Yeah, it's stuff? interesting. In third phase, they have you making tactical calls, which is certainly not what you're going to do in the platoon. Okay. So that's what your chief and then your LPO okay. and your fire team leaders are going to do. So, uh, you know, it kind of sets you up like, oh, yeah, I'm going to make these great calls. <laughs> negative. <laughs> negative. You're going to get a clipboard and you're going to, you know, you're going to battle track. You're going to be in the rear. Saying, Absolutely. Good luck, guys. Good luck. Yeah. 
but it's good to have some experience i bet in that too yeah 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 and then uh third phase any funny stories anything interesting going on uh my our my co-host bravo 16 greg sisa he um had a great story from third phase when they were doing these drawings of the uh proctor there and it got a little out of control and they got just completely smoked for it so it sounded like he was uh he had some fun in third phase i don't know if you guys did anything crazy but we had the opposite of fun <laughs> and okay. it, it uh i think it was one of those examples of understanding where the students are understanding where the instructors are okay i think there were some instructors going through a lot of uh issues physically mentally and there was a period there where they were making decisions that may not have been Mm. the most thought out and then the response by the students was rage and uh you know a lot of the instructing staff had to get uh kind of reprimanded on the side and so did the students myself being one of them wow and it was It was, it was, uh, it wasn't the best. Yeah. And talk to me. So instructors, as I understand it, they do one or two deployments, maybe three, mm-hmm. and then they go to an instructor position mm-hmm. to not only teach what they've learned mm-hmm. in battle and war, but mm-hmm. also give them a break, be with their families, get some yeah. time. And I've, you know, I work with a lot of you guys helping, you know, with the, that journey to civilian life. And a lot of times I'm hearing it start in the instructor phase because they're dealing with maybe TBI, maybe PTS, maybe just, I don't know what I'm going to do next. And so family. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you gotta think some of these guys, they've done a couple hard tours. Yeah. They come back, maybe they've got kids. They want to be, you know, the head of the household, but they've been gone for the past, you know, two, four, six years. Yeah. They're no longer the head of the household. So you got a battle there. And then maybe, um, you know, they got some physical issues. So maybe, uh, you know they're they're overcompensating mm-hmm. by maybe self-medicating maybe yeah. you know just th- th- there's a lot of stuff going on and then meanwhile you go on the island you're there for a month at a time mm. it, you're not helping the families no, that way no. so i think i think the staff had been there for a while and then the students you know we could have been a whole lot better i certainly could have been a whole lot better on my end but that yeah. it happens it happens and then you graduate from there what happens when you graduate from third phase do you are you getting your trident then is that how it works negative uh <laughs> negative not even close not even close right. i mean you gotta think you get through buds and you're, you're still a nobody really you're just in you've done nothing so what what happens next walk me through um you just go into jump school at the time. I okay. think they've restructured the um, the training curriculum. But now what year is this? When you get out of third phase, what year is that? Two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So you go to jump school, and then are you placed on a team after that? Not, not yet. I had, uh, you know, so you, the officers they'll do jump school, or they did, and then they would break away from their buds class, and then do the junior officer training course, Jotsi. Oh, okay. And then the the officers in SQT are paired with the the class behind them. So the two seven two officers then became the officers with the two seven three enlisted guys. Oh that's so that's that's how it works. Yeah. And so another way to kind of teach you leadership. Like you're gonna lead people you don't even know right now. Yeah, exactly. But but the other part too is it, it gives you a clean slate. So in, in case, you know, there's some historical whatever mm, from personalities. Yeah, it, it just gives you a fresh start. 
Interesting. Yep. And so um, you go back, you work with them, and uh, uh, at some point, how do you pick a team? Does someone do you, they give you a choice? Do we you? we had this we had this detailer at the time. Her name was Margaret, and she had been the detailer for forty some years. I mean, she detailed. I think I've heard of her. The OG yes. officers. I think I'm. And a detailer is what for our audience? What is a detailer? The detailer do? is um, a a person private, like a, a civilian, so a private citizen or a, uh, and you're going to have a military component. Okay. Generally, a commander, maybe a lieutenant commander, as their deputy, as uh, the folks that are going to identify where the the next crop of COs, XOs, and then how do you get the crop below uh, ready for those positions? Okay. And you know, interestingly, uh, Margaret, this lady mm-hmm. out of I think D.C. Mm-hmm. or Millington, uh, Tennessee. I mean, she she pretty much directed every guy's career. I've heard I've heard people taking champagne and this and whatever that. it takes, <laughs> whatever it takes. And bless her heart, she retired. And I mean, she had his uh, distinguished a career doing that. And that's something that I think when you talk to guys that get out, one of their biggest gripes is you know you, you, they just they got tossed around. There's no uh, development. Okay. You know where are you going? Why did they why did they put so-and-so here or there when mm-hmm. the skill sets didn't align. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's an incredibly, incredibly important role. Of course. And um, especially as the leaders, the officers who are mm-hmm. going to mold these teams. So where'd she put you? So I originally had orders of team one. And then there's another buddy of mine, his wife. You mean uh, no fun one? No fun one. <laughs> That's where I ended actually. But uh, okay. So I, I, I got orders to one, and I was like, fuck yeah, <laughs> West Coast. And then a buddy of mine in the class, he married uh, another classmate of ours from the Naval Academy, and she was finishing up TBS and was in, uh, I think she had gotten orders to uh, Camp Pendleton. Okay. He got orders to the East Coast, and I was like, hey, I'll switch you. You know, so you could be closer to your wife. And at the time, I was like, eh, no big deal. I mean, this is easy. I'm single. There's there's no problem mm-hmm. to it. And and so he goes to Team 1, and I go to Team 10. And that era on the West Coast uh, didn't have the best run going into the Middle East mm-hmm. because they went to the Pacific. Okay. And so then I went to Team 10 and had a year-long combat deployment. And that was, you know, the foundation of my career. Really? So it ended up working out well for me. And then. And so Team 10, are you still an ensign or are you lieutenant yet? I was lieutenant JP, I was I an ensign for about a week or two. And oh, then, they immediately bump you up. No, no, it's okay. just after 24 months, you get the immediate bump. Okay. And then at the 48th month, you become a lieutenant. So it's JG first and then lieutenant. So when you're at Team 10, you're a JG. JG, gotcha. Mm-hmm. And you get there, and how's the reception for an officer? I've heard all the enlisted stories, but how does it work when you're a new guy officer? It was interesting there because some of the new you know, new guy games, they didn't want the officers to be a part of, hmm. which is the first time you really get that uh, separation, mm-hmm. which on one hand you're like, whew, missed that game, but on the backhand – uh, you don't really develop that camaraderie either because mm-hmm. now you're starting to differentiate. Okay. And that was uh, that wasn't as fun. Yeah. Is that an important thing in military in general? Is is having a distinction between officers and enlisted? 
in in the seals not necessarily the way i look at it is just understanding where your role and responsibility is in platoon and you know you look at a guy like greg yeah and i don't look at him like he's an enlisted guy i just look at him as an operator and he has a role and responsibility let's just give him everything he needs to be excellent at that okay i think if you can just get away from looking at folks as being o's knees in the community i think it's it's uh overall better and it sounds like from the people i've talked to that it's less of a big deal in your community and the teams because yeah. it's you know your small groups it's such important roles everybody really has to you know pitch in and do you know sometimes crossing over between other roles for sure wrong. Yeah. for sure yeah. i mean you'll depending on where you go overseas you might get an e5 that has to do an o3's job mm-hmm. and what a great opportunity for those guys yeah. you know i i absolutely encourage that i think that's great and then uh, you get some guys that need a bit more of a heavier hand, and um, you know this is this is your place. Yeah, yeah. So you get to ten, and then where are they when you get there? Are they in workup? Are they getting ready to deploy? They're just coming back. Okay. Uh, or from their um, individual training, so okay. we're getting ready for ULT, and we are just moving into the new uh, Team Ten building, and. You know, when you're going through the schoolhouse, you really don't see anybody's ribbon stack. You don't see, mm-hmm. um, you know, the guys because you're seeing instructors. Mm-hmm. And sometimes instructors are there for a little bit longer than you might think. Okay. And, you know, I showed up the first week and the cages were empty because nobody was there. Okay. Came back the next week and they were packed. Oh. Everybody moved in over the course of that weekend. Okay. And I'm looking around and I'm seeing guys with prosthetic legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, silver stars all over the place, purple hearts, mm-hmm. bronze stars with valor. I'm looking around, I'm like, ooh, this is, I've never seen anything like this. Really? Because at the Naval Academy, you know, you, you don't get a lot of combat officers that come through there. An occasional uh, silver star, maybe a couple of purple hearts here and there. Mm-hmm. But, um, like, I'm looking around, it's like, these are, this is rough and tough. Mm, wow. And then, so what happens next? They're doing, they did individual training, now they're doing u- u- unit level training. Yeah, exactly. Which means you guys are working together and you fold right into that and mm-hmm. get going. Yeah. And yeah. Then, and I how mean, many officers are in a team generally? Are they split up between different? 15 maybe. Yeah, okay. You might have two to three per, per platoon. Okay. Not a lot. Okay, gotcha. Not a lot gotcha. at all. And you're bam, right into training with them. Straight into it. Yeah. And there are people ahead of you, and so you're supposed to just kind of listen, learn from them, and then do they throw you into the training at some point, too? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, right, yeah. right out of the gates? Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Which was great, because, yeah. I mean, you had these guys that had, uh, you know, I think I had a chief at the time, had seven, six combat deployments. Oh, we were goodness. getting ready for our seventh, and just the wealth of experience, mm-hmm. the... The guys there had seen what was to be seen. Yeah. And so the training reflected that, their attitudes reflected that, and the the focus certainly, you know, represented what the community needed. Oh, that's great. And then what's your first deployment? Do you got how long after that are you guys deploying? So I guess I got there in April and we deployed in you know, February for a year. Okay. That was Afghanistan? Mm-hmm. For a year. That mm-hmm. seems like a longer deployment than most SEAL teams It was teams a long do. time. I was going to say. It was 11 months, but yeah, it was a long time. Why so long? Great question. <laughs> Great question. Way above my pay grade. Okay. okay. You know, I, I just, 
I packed up my bag. And I was like, sweet, this is how it's going to be. But, you know, it's so fascinating. You get home from a trip like that and you go to your house in Virginia Beach or San Diego and you look around and you're like, all right, looks about the same. Uh, and you go back home to your childhood home when you see your family and mm-hmm. you're like, it's amazing how it all looks the same. It's like if you didn't come home, yeah. uh, it would look the same. Interesting. It's like life will go on. Yeah. It was just this moment. It's like life will go on. Yeah. And with or without. And it was a rough deployment. Really? Tell I me mean, about it. I mean, we had the Bin Laden op yeah. during that time. We had extortion. Okay. We, we lost uh, Caleb Nelson from our troop. And uh, in the SOTA I was in, you know, there was dozens of Marines that passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's one op where I think we lost four MARSOC guys oh. on a daisy-chained IED explosion. Oh. Uh, several Green Berets. I mean, by the grace of God, mm-hmm. nobody from my platoon uh, passed. We had about 13 Purple Hearts out of the task oh, unit. Man. Uh, that is a rough first deployment. Yeah. Oh, oh and, yeah. And what's your position now? So is there a couple of officers above you? And I had one. His okay. name was uh, Brandon. He hit an ID six weeks into deployment, lost part of his leg. <sighs> And he, I mean, he might be one of the most talented people I've ever come oh. across. Just unbelievable. So within 10 weeks, he was doing 24-inch box jumps with a prosthetic. Come on. Fucking stud. Come on. Stud. Back in it? So he was right back in it? Well, he, he had the choice to come back yeah. in it. And even the guys over at Damnock were like, we need you to screen with a prosthetic and let it let everybody know it can be done. And he's like, ah, you know what? I'm going to go to law school. <laughs> That's probably smart. He he kind of like quote dodged a bullet one time. Maybe you yeah. don't want to risk it again. So does that bump you up, or do they slide another senior officer in with so you? So I slid up for a bit, okay. and then they they eventually brought in no. another guy uh, to backfill. And are know. you guys doing direct action? Or you're kind of going a right little bit to the mix, yeah. But we were doing this village stability operations gotcha. at the yeah. time, so everything was daytime, just walking around, kicking up the hornet's nest, which is really not your mission correct isn't that stuff you no. guys hate don't you like nighttime and nods and you would prefer that but yeah. given the given the location yeah. it was it, it wasn't in the cards no yeah. so you get back from that and then uh what's next do you go through start a new workup and or so after that and this is where the detailing comes in mm-hmm. so all the new guys i pretty much either was in buds with or sqt with so i knew them really well mm-hmm. and you know for three four years plus the combat i mean it was you know really really tight guys Mm -hmm. and then they would have another cycle or two at that command and as an oh i got shipped off to guam oh that's right i remember you told me that yeah and how'd you feel about that you know at the time i wasn't too psyched but then looking back you know talking about a transition Mm -hmm. you know a role like that is the best role for somebody in the military to transition because now you're working outside the seals Mm -hmm. for a lot of stuff and so you got to stretch yourself you got to meet new folks you got to network which is what you do in the civilian world too yeah in a big way and i think uh i didn't understand what a great opportunity that was until way later you were pissed that going to guam like what the fuck (laughs) you know all these other guys they go and do another combat yeah yeah all that and then you look back and you're like, gosh, you know, the beauty of the community is uh, I was on four teams, a couple units, and, mm-hmm. you know, got to see a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. And being able to work with so many folks, see great leadership on the officer enlisted side, 
I mean, that's the takeaway. But if I had just stayed at one team and worked with the same 20 guys, it would have been great. I would have had another great combat tour out of it. But then again... You wouldn't have developed as a person. I wouldn't have developed in the skills that would have really helped me Hmm. outside the teams, too. And how long in Guam? I spent two years at first, and then I came back uh, after my platoon commander and did a few more months, so about two and a half years. Okay, all right. At that point, you've been in three or four years, four or five years? Four years at the end of, uh, I guess, six years at the end of my first tour in Guam. Okay. Then the platoon commander took me to eight and then went back and then finished up at one. And So platoon commander, that's in Guam as well? I did the platoon commander at three. Okay. Went to the Middle East and... um, and how was that? So you you moved to Team Three. Are you with all our buddies? Was Cesa there when you were in Team he Three? He had just left and gone to the training cell. Gotcha, gotcha. So platoon commander, like, what does that mean? So you're in charge of the entire platoon. Yeah. Okay. So there's three big milestone leadership builds for O's. The okay. first is your bow crew commander. Okay. And buds, then your platoon commander, then your commanding officer of a team. Okay, gotcha. So those are the three big leadership roles. And so that's really the the measure of the O's career okay. are those three okay. uh, so milestone So platoon commander's a big deal. So you went through workup and deployment with these guys in Team yeah. 3? Yeah. And how did you go Afghanistan again? No, we went to uh, UAE okay. and, you know, Yemen, gotcha. Saudi, Middle East, the GCC. Gotcha. And, and the biggest issue I had with that is having gone from a really intense combat tour to seeing what the options were for that deployment. You just knew nothing was going to happen. Oh. It was a political turnover year. Okay. There's no political appetite to actually go out and execute a very uh, potentially um, dangerous op okay. or series of them. And so I looked at that and I was like, gosh, I mean, this is just, um, you know, my attitude took a dip on that because mm. I was I was just so frustrated. And, and nothing, not nothing exciting happened during that uh, no, deployment. I, I I looked at that deployment and it was, um, it, it wasn't fruitful. Interesting. And are you still lieutenant at this point, or did you? Yeah. This is year seven. You're in seven eight seven eight. Okay. Mm-hmm. And come back from that, and then you said they. Uh, Margaret sent you over to team. Well, one. Mar- Margaret <laughs> retired by the time I was at team 10. Okay. And I, uh, so you get back from three and then how did you get to one? Did they just, yeah, I, I went from, from three to one. Okay. Cause I was slated to do a troop commander. And, and at that point I just said, you know what? I think it's time to, to move on. Yeah. You know, my, my attitude wasn't in the, the best place for, you know, the guys in the community. Yeah. I just, I just, you know, I, w- I wasn't sure where we were going next, right. and I was not in a position to make any kind of impact on that, and I decided, all right, it's time for family decision. Okay. And so I went to the detail, and I was like, all right, I'm looking to get out, and he's like, well, I've got, uh, I can help you, hmm. but you got to meet me halfway. Ooh. I knew exactly where he was going to send me. <laughs> where it was? Right back to Guam. <laughs> okay. All right. And so, so we went back to Guam again. Yeah. So I was like, right. why, you know, how long are you going to do this? He's like, until I find a backfill. And I was like, I need, I need a, a firmer number. <laughs> that could be a long time. It could be two years. Right. And right. he's like, I won't do that to you. Okay. I'll, I'll do it for a few months. I was like, all right, fine. Oh, okay. So he, he, he held true to his word. Okay. And the second time I went back to Guam, it was terrific. Really? You know, it was, 
it's just one of those things when you're you're going through your you have blinders on yeah. so much of your career that you me I missed so many great opportunities to just have a good time because yeah. I was just so focused. You're like, see you on action, right yeah. action, let's go. Yeah, it's fucking 95 and 100% <laughs> humidity, let's go to the range. It's like, no, don't go to the range, get your scuba equipment on, and let's go Let's go dive. Right, let's right. have fun. Okay. You know, let's yeah. let's incorporate fun and training together in an environment that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, w- I just had to come off the... Uh, Get off the train a little bit. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. And then did he keep his word a couple months at Guam? He did. Had a boy. And then he did. And then you're done. You separate at that point. And that's uh, I came back and about six months later I was out. And and before you got out. So what's your mindset? You're like, OK, I'm getting out. Are you starting to think about what's my transition going to look like? What career? Yeah, am I it, go it started during my platoon commander because I had a few peers that were starting to look around. OK. And. Uh, you know, I did this thing with the Seal Future Foundation in New York. Okay. Looked at some banks, and I was like, oh, this, this could be pretty sweet. And Did you have a, a career in mind, or you just kind of snooping around a little snooping bit? Snooping around. Okay. Didn't know. Yeah. You know, hoped it was a finance-related thing, and, you know, to some degree, I was like, I, I want to feel like I could read these financial statements, mm. get in the mix, mm-hmm. start a business maybe. You know, that that kind of thing, just because I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up with any of that. I, yeah. I wasn't familiar with any of that. And so I looked at that and then, you know, talked with some folks. And Did you have some mentors at that time? You're kind of just starting to meet people in the civilian world. Starting to meet them. Okay. And then uh, just so happened my father-in-law was... Were you married at that time? Did uh, you get married during all No, this? the last time I ever put a uniform on was to get married. Get out of here. Yeah, man. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. You were still active duty then at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, leading up to that point, they were getting uh, one of you know their house uh, built in Newport. Mm-hmm. And the house they were renting was a guy who was working in commercial real estate. And so my father-in-law was like, hey, why don't you talk to him? Mm. So I, was, I reached out to him. Nothing. Okay. And he's like, hit him up again. I was okay. like, that's not how it goes in the military. <laughs> Welcome know? to civilian world, yeah. 101. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and I think a lot of team guys and a lot of military folks, you know, it's just a very different uh, way to get shit done. Yeah. Like if somebody doesn't respond to you, mm-hmm. you fucking hit them back. Yeah. Right. And and you just keep hitting them back, maybe at a, on a weekly clip Correct. or every two weeks. And eventually, I run a class at With Your Shield, the program Greg Caesar runs, and it's called just you know Civilian One Hundred and One. Yeah, how to small talk, how yep. to network, yep, how to how to follow up but not bug, yep, because it's not it's not an offense. It's just sometimes we get busy, no doubt, you know, and it's and not, I feel it now, yeah. <laughs> I, I totally feel it now. It's like, man, I, I'm, I'm working with these interns right now with, at Kenny Wilson, and I'm just like, golly, man, I am just, I'm up to my eyeballs at work. Right. And, and I, you, you're like, I forgot to t- text Brent back from two weeks ago or whatever. I mean, you're yeah. actually good about it. But um, so your dad, your father-in-law, he's a fellow Trojan like I am, correct? Fight on. Fight on. And so what did he say to you? He said, contact. It just keep hitting him up. Yeah. And who, just, who were you trying to reach? It was Steve Silk over at. He's still secured. Oh yeah, I have some friends at he's still. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. I yeah. mean, yeah. couldn't he could not have put me in touch with a better person? Yeah. Did you finally get a hold of him? Yeah. After I don't know, it probably took maybe two months yeah. of uh, continual engagement. But you know, come to find out with Steve, the only way he can gauge if you're going to be a good salesman 
is if you follow through. Persistence. And you're persistent. That is gold. It is gold. That is gold. And I, I and I that. didn't, and you know, I think that's one of the nuggets I pulled away from that, that point in time. Cause I was like, fuck, you know, what do I gotta, what do I gotta say yeah. to get their interest? Little did I know, he's like the LeBron James of commercial oh, real yes. estate brokerage. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he is the guy. Yeah, my, and, my my old buddy Chris Hoffman is one of their directors too. One of the big wigs. And mm-hmm. yeah, they're they are the big wigs. In yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, if you're gonna try to sell a billion dollar portfolio, mm-hmm. Steve's your top guy on the yeah. call. Uh, so sure. you, you you finally get a hold of him, and how's that conversation go? So I met with him right before uh, I went back to Guam, and he said, "Why don't you come to the office?" And, and this is after he, had, you know, had me talk to a couple other folks at his shop, and you know, there was a little, you know, every step of the way, it's an interview, mm-hmm. yes. every step of the way. Yes. So he's going to put you in touch with so and so, then so and so is going to follow up, then he puts, and he's going to, and if they're they're sharp and they they know what they're doing, they're going to try to find another vet on the team, mm-hmm. maybe another pro athlete mm-hmm. on the team, mm-hmm. and they're going to vet you, and then they're going to come back give them the thoughts and if they like it they're like okay now come in the office and we're going to have you meet everybody else okay so i went in there and i did that twice and i was like man i love this company yeah i mean they're great the people there with their output the professionalism i I really resonated with that steve's like how do you think it went i was like i think it went okay he's like let's call some other companies i was like oh oh must not have gone too well okay and he's like i'm gonna call this guy bill bill I think you and him are going to connect really well. And let me guess, the legend Bill McMorrow himself. He calls up Bill, and he's like, Bill, where are you at? He's like, I'm in Hawaii, Steve. What's going on? And he's like, well, I got this guy from the the SEALs. He, he's looking uh, to get in real estate. He's like, oh, send him in. So I got to meet with him. Yeah. And if I hadn't been able to connect with a guy like Steve, mm-hmm. Steve doesn't call just regulars at another company no he calls the boss which bills the ceo by the way yeah kennedy wilson yeah Yeah. i mean the man and uh so then you know a couple weeks later i met with bill and then you know maybe two three minutes and he's like wait i gotta stop kent get in here (laughs) magic mouton so magic mouton comes in it's the two of these guys (laughs) talking and and i just looked at the dynamic between them and bill left me with a couple great takeaways when you're looking at transitioning is like one it's really it's almost an unfair question to ask you what is it that you want to do because you really don't know Mm -hmm. because you were in your dream job and it would be wrong of me to ask you what do you want to do because you know you don't know you just don't know correct and then the other part too is look at the company you're trying to go to because at some point if you stay there long enough you're going to grow into them yeah good point and I mean, it couldn't have come from two better guys. No, I mean, I've almost talked about them on every single podcast because all the programs I work with, they started with your shield. They mm-hmm. helped. They helped fund C four Foundation. I'm on the board of that, you know. And it's just, mm-hmm. they're such patriots. They grew up in Navy families. Both their dads mm-hmm. were pilots, and yep. just two of the really best guys I've ever met. And you know that too. Yep. Just like genuine. Wouldn't have this opportunity if it wasn't for them. Yeah. Because they had to take a risk. Yeah. And the other part, too, is when you transition, you know, I came out at, you know, 30 and change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm older than the roles that I, I should be going to. Because mm-hmm. when I got out, I'm going into the roles with undergrads at 22, right. 21, 23 you years old. You kind of swallow your pride a little 100%. bit. A hundred percent. I mean, Jocko says it regularly. You yeah. just got to check your ego at the door. You just have to do it. Yeah. And if you ever get into a big uh, issue... 
it's likely caused by your ego. So you got to take a step back and just know that the transition is going to take, you know, five, ten years. And what uh, what did you guys agree on? Did they send you anywhere? Did you start in any certain division or how did that work? So I started in their acquisition division. Okay. And uh, I think Greg started in their multifamily mm-hmm. group, right? Correct, yeah. And so, uh, you know, Bill tells me, he's like, oh, you're going to work with this other guy. Great guy. You're going to love him. And I do. I, I think he's a terrific guy. And he calls me up on my bachelor party. He's like, all right, you ready for this? I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right, what do you know about Excel? And I was like, oh, control copy, control paste. That's about <laughs> it. And he's like, you got to be kidding me. And I was like, no, not really. I mean, can it do more? <laughs> and he's like, ah, all right, what about Argus? How, how good are you at that? I was like, I've never heard of it. <laughs> he takes a long pause and just asks, how did you get hired here? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, <laughs> Bill, Bill hired me. That's how I got here. Right. And he's like, all right, I shouldn't have to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you this. You're going to have a really, really difficult year. And I was like, okay. And he's like, no, no it's going to be a rough year. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, I don't think you get it. And I was like, no, I don't think you get it. I've had a lot of rough years. I was going to say, are you sure he knew your background? <laughs> and then and then a couple of weeks later, he has a, a buddy in the Marines and started talking. He's like, hey, man, when I was talking to you and I was telling you it was going to be tough, you know, I didn't really understand so much where you came from. <laughs> I was just thinking that too. And yeah. I was like, yeah, it's okay, man. I, you know, I'll, I'll take it on the chin, but I could tell you I'm in there four years. It's still tough. Yeah. It's course. still tough. Yeah. And there's so much to learn and every deal is different. Every asset class is different. And again, every day you just check the ego at the door and then you ask for, you know, consistent help, you know, mm-hmm. who to go to for help. I think that's really big on the transition. Figure out the folks that aren't going to judge you mm. when you ask questions. Yeah. Because some will. Some will have an incredible amount of patience to answer whatever you got. Some will not. And at the end of the day, you know, there's one thing you can do as a, uh, a seasoned operator, let's say. Have the balls to ask some questions when you don't know. Because there's a lot of people that don't know. And they just fake it till they make it. And that's, uh, you can make a lot of mistakes. I was going to say, especially in a business like that. Oh, for sure. And now, it, did you, didn't you go overseas for a while with K- 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 um, Kennedy Wilson? Yeah. Yeah, I worked for Mary in the London office. Was that your first job in the London office, or you started yeah. in the States? So I started in the States, okay. and then I was in grad school for a year, okay. and then this summer I uh, went to London okay. and got to see how they operate. Very different, and it just goes to show that there's so many ways to get from A to B, Okay. and none of them are right, none of them are wrong. They're just what they are, and you got to make the best of where you think your your skill set's going to contribute the most. How was uh, what uh, grad degree did you get? Grad school degree. I got an MBA. Okay. And and how was that? Do you think that was valuable to add to the repertoire or is it just you had to have it? A buddy of mine uh from from undergrad and and the teams too, his mom ran a insurance company. Okay. Big insurance company mm-hmm. for a good many years and when I was transitioning, I, I chatted with her, and she's like, the MBA is not going to do anything for you because you don't have any context mm. to place any of that information. And I had worked at uh, Kenny Wilson for about six, eight months before I went to school, and it helped a ton to have that six I've to eight months. That. 
Okay. But if I had two years, mm. it would have been unbelievable. And they used to make you, for your MBA, go work for a while and then get it. That used to be mandatory back in the day when I went to law school. I heard yeah. Back, back. I mean, they, they considered the no. the time and services no. work enough. Correct, yeah. And that's, um, you know, they, they don't really transition. But I think if you're going to get into a big corporation mm-hmm. as a vet, you better get that MBA. Mm, interesting. Okay. And you better get it from a top MBA program. And was yours a one-year program? Two. Two years got you. Yeah. yeah. You it was to, a you full-time. Had cr- you had to crank to get that done in two years, I bet. It had to be done. Yeah. yeah. And now I look back, and I wish I could go back and do it again. I because know. now I have so much more uh, context to place this information. Yeah. A lot of people, I even think about that for college with me. I wasted so many great classes at USC cause I was 19. I didn't care about history. Yeah. And now I'm like, man, can I go back and take that again? Unbelievable. Yeah. And then, uh, how was London? Was that a good experience? Great experience. I mean, I, I lived over there during law school. I love London. I mean, it's you, awesome. You really get out of the bubble of the States and for sure. get down to, you know, the brass tacks of living mm-hmm. in Europe. That's mm-hmm. great. And then how'd you get back over here? Did you, was there an opening in uh, the States and they wanted to put you in it? Or? Yeah, so there was an opening in in uh, the capital raising team. And so I slid into that and, you know, we finished uh, our sixth fundraise. And it was the first time we were oversubscribed. And it was really awesome experience um, to see one facet of the cycle of mm, a fund. That's great. And I think the biggest lesson learned I could take away from that is as a vet, you're going to want to come in at either the acquisition or asset management. Mm-hmm. So you're really working the numbers, mm-hmm. really down on the ground, looking at the asset, the market, the sub market, understanding how the financing works, what it takes to make sure the tenants are not burning the walls down and they want to re up and at a higher than expected rate. Okay. That's really important because then when you go out on the road to capital raise, you can talk to it. Yeah, I'd go out on the capital uh, markets. You know the, uh, you know, doing the road show, and I couldn't get as deep as I wanted to. Mm. And if you had a really seasoned CIO you were sitting in front of that maybe came from real estate or the alternative markets, I mean, they could stump you. You cannot be stumped. Okay. Cannot be stumped. So you got to know your stuff. You got to know it cold. And yeah. I mean, I had all the talking points. But if it went off the talking point, mm. you know, it's just how deep did those questions go? And they went they went pretty deep. Yeah. Well, they didn't go that deep. So so your takeaway was to try to get everything covered, like your your knowledge of experience. If you're going to go raise money, you better know all angles of that. For sure. Interesting. And I'll give you an example. I, I'm fortunate uh, to be working with this uh, new hire, Steve, and we we're working on this deal in the inland empire and it's the first deal i've sourced brought in underwritten and we placed a bid maybe we'll get it maybe we won't and you know we're trying to find some capital to pair it with i can get on that phone i could talk all day long about the market the sub market the asset why it's a valuable uh, investment for any kind of strategy mm-hmm. and if i look at that and it's like gosh if i if i have only grown this much in four years where am i going to be at eight or twelve or you know, I look at uh, someone like Bill, and he's he's been in the business uh, through seven recessions. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, my gosh. I mean, is this guy going to be stressed out about COVID? Mm-hmm. No. Nope. Nope. Yeah. He, he's psyched. I mean, he's like, all right, this is when, 
you know, the, the stuff is going to happen. We're ready for it. Yeah. And no surprise, we've had our best quarter all time. That's awesome. Now you told me, so I, a lot of the vets I talk to, sometimes they, when they get into companies or they have been there for a while and make a move, they sometimes climb the ladder faster than a normal civilian and have gotten a little flack for that just because of their structure, especially soft guys, SEALs, people that have kind of, you know, maybe taken a position. Like, how are you finding navigating the civilian world in a, you know, billion dollar company like Andy Wilson? Is it easy? Do you have to learn the tricks of the trade? Like any kind of tips for other veterans transitioning out? And You definitely got to learn the, the tricks and trades. And every company is different. Some are very formal. Some are informal. I think Kenny Wilson's rather informal. If you're in a formal environment, I think vets are more prone for growth because the military is very linear, very hierarchical. Right. And some companies are like that. At KW, you know your title doesn't mean much. Okay. Um, it's, it's just pretty much... a you know, we're doing a lot of deals. Mm -hmm. And so you just have to be very competent on the deal, okay. on the asset. And so if you're a quick learner, you're going to do fine. If you need reps, you're going to be fine. It's just going to take longer. Just got to put the time in. That's it. At the end of the day, you got to put the time in to get as deep as you can get on everything you touch. Yeah, I've just wondered about that because I've heard from some veterans that I've helped get jobs at different places that they are surprised at some of the petty infighting sometimes at, you know, these jobs. Like, they just can't believe it happens. And it's just, you know, my takeaway being a civilian is that it's just we just do things differently. And maybe it's not as, you know... Uh, you know, you guys are so direct and you're like mission focused and get this done and I can handle five things at once. And I feel like sometimes the civilian world is is a lot of egos and a lot of people like stabbing you in the back. And I just don't know if, you know, you've experienced that at all. But I've I've heard that it's a different world. So, you know, the way I've explained it to some of the vets I've chatted with is the battle zone and the enemy was more clearly defined uh, and it wasn't on our team okay but when it when it comes to the professional world the battlefield is your bank account because mm, okay. nobody's doing the job for free yeah in the military you could have done the job for free because it was the dream job yeah. and there was a great mission behind it and it was selfless absolutely selfless and so now you're you're out there and you know your role is to make money mm-hmm and think of it from the context of you're new and there's somebody that's been there for 25 years they may know how to work the system mm -hmm. where a couple more quarters fall in their pocket mm -hmm. right yeah you know yeah. and you know hopefully that stays the same for the next 25 years <laughs> exactly but yeah. uh it may it may not yeah Oh, that's interesting. That's great. Well, but knowing how people get paid is really important. Okay. Knowing the compensation structure is important because then you'll know what you can expect from someone. Yeah. So let's say it's a collaborative environment and everybody's going to get paid on the deal. Then everybody's going to help you and you're going to want to share that deal. But if people are paid because of the deal they specifically bring in, how much how much collaboration you think you're gonna mm -hmm. get? That's very interesting. Yeah. So just know that when you know wherever you're looking, and if it's uh, if it's gonna align with 
the type of environment you want to be in. Yeah, that's really interesting. I love it. Now, I've, I've, I've told a lot of veterans, like, people want to hire you. You have great experience. Don't be afraid. But, you know, you have to reach out like you did. You have to network. Mm-hmm. You have to be persistent. You've got to follow up and follow up and just show that you are tenacious and you're a hard worker. And, you know, I've seen it both sides. I've seen people that, you know, have not followed up with me and I, you know, see them a couple years later and they're like, oh, yeah, I meant to call you. But then there's like you who calls a guy for two months and gets to, I think he was the CEO of Eastdale, right? Or one of the big directors, Steve, mm-hmm. whatever his name mm-hmm. was. Yeah. So, I think that's a good lesson, and, and uh, um, I love it. And, and how how are you doing now? Are you feeling you know satisfaction in your job? You think you're on the learning curve where you're like, okay, I see how this works. I'm starting to help raise money, do deals. Yeah, like for sure. You feel like that the, the years you've put in, you're finally like, okay, I'm comfortable here. You, you I'm can becoming, do a spreadsheet now. Yeah, I can, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, the the other part too is as a team guy, you're coming out, you're you know your value. Yeah. You know how much impact you're making. And the other, you know, when you when you transition, you may not know mm-hmm. where you're making your biggest impact. Yeah. And it may not be on the bottom line. Right. And that can be, that's been a hard pill for me to swallow because for a lot of time, I don't know if I've really brought in the value that, again, I wanted to bring in mm-hmm. for the firm. And especially because, you know, the investors are banking on you to do it. Yeah, They've course. given you the trust to do it. And so you want to you want to produce, especially because we invest a lot of pension plans. Mm. And I look at that like. um, Like the service members, how many guys you knew that re-upped so they could get that pension? They missed the birthdays, they missed the holidays, they went on deployments over and over because they wanted that pension at the end. And now I'm in a position where I'm trying to make more money on that. And you got it. You got to be. Yeah. sharp on the details. I also think that finding your way to Kennedy Wilson, which is such a supporter of veterans, I mean, passionate supporter, not mm-hmm. only, you know, Navy SEAL Foundation, SEAL Future Foundation with your shield, but I mean, I went with Kent to the CIA Memorial Officers Foundation. Mm-hmm. They had the last four directors of the CIA there. I mean, they are true patriots. And I think a lot of veterans, you know, as they're looking at jobs, as they're getting out, there are companies like this out there for you, sure. You'll see they have veteran hiring programs or mm-hmm. a coordinator of veterans affairs or, you know, different things. Not that you have to do that, but I feel like that's another thing that, you know, I think was amazing that you got, an, you went straight to bill who's mm-hmm. like, who really just, this is his passion. And, uh, and another thing that's great that bill and Kent and others do is if you want to start your own business, mm-hmm. They are terrific resources for you. And I would encourage every team guy to start their own business because you have such reliance on yourself to get it done. And to some degree, uh, you know, the best drawings are done on uh, sheets of paper that don't have any lines on it. And so you can just go where you want to go. And and I I would encourage everybody to do that and have a guy like Bill that's – just a tried and true no. supporter and i i think bill is going to be the uh more than excited or ken or greg or you they're going to be more than excited to help you start your business because they want to see you succeed well and, and for what i when i do little seminars i'm telling people network 
you, from your father-in-law to Steve to Bill to Mary, you know, you did a whole daisy chain of networking. And I tell people, like I had a master sergeant on two podcasts, uh, two episodes ago, John Martin, a good friend of mine, uh, Green Beret. And, you know, just sometimes, you know, people don't want to network and it feels weird to network. And I, you mm-hmm. know, I've talked to him and many people like, look, you have an incredible skill set, skill set. You were an 18 Delta instructor, mm-hmm. the, the cream of the crop of med- medics yeah. and also a master sergeant in the army. That's unbelievable. So, mm-hmm. you know, get out there, let us introduce you to people, to people, to people. And, in, you know, in the civilian world, that's how it works. And we almost learn how to do that naturally. Like going through college, you learn how to network. Then I went to law school, learn how to network. Then I got, jo- and it really is second nature. And I'm finding that some people have a gift for it, and some people are persistent, like you were and are. But some people are like, I don't know, I can't do this, you know. And 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 again, you can work around that too. You just mm-hmm. need to be honest with yourself. Like, hey, that Bennett. that's the key. Yeah, you got to be honest with yourself. Yeah. What it is you want to do, mm-hmm. what your skill sets lend themselves to what your family can support, Mm -hmm. that's the key. You got to be honest with yourself. And I was thinking about that before I came in here, Brent, is that when you're in the teams, you only have so many options. You're going to be a breacher, a comms guy, a medic, whatever. There's not that many options, but when you get out, you can do anything. And you've seen team guys out here, they've gone into acting, Mm -hmm. screenwriting, finance, real estate, entrepreneurship. I, I, I mean, you can do anything you want anything and every minute you spend really asking yourself don't give a shit about what other people say yes like you really really cannot live your life worried about what people think if you want to do real estate Mm -hmm. great opportunities for it there's Mm -hmm. a great path for it if you want to be a screenwriter uh, or a novelist i mean there's a team guy out there he retired and now he's got new york bestsellers yeah I mean, well, your roommate who I've met with a couple of times at the Academy. Yeah. Flo. I mean, Flo, he's great. Yeah. You know? We're getting dinner right after this. I love this. I love and, this. Uh, and I mean, he took a non-traditional path mm-hmm. and at five years he got out active duty, went into reserves, caddied at LACC mm-hmm. I remember that. to, to yeah. make ends meet. Yeah. And you know what? Talk about a great dude. He asked the president of the club mm-hmm. to take me out on a round because he was in real estate yeah. and I was looking to get into real estate. And there were members that went up to him and told him, we've never had a caddy ask for something as ballsy as that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about what a great dude. Yeah. Networking. Yeah. And you got to take a risk. But and that, you're going to hit a lot of us like me and you and Bill yeah. that want you to take the risk. Absolutely. We're open to it. And while that guy didn't give me a job, he got my brother a job <laughs> when he got out of the Navy. So, I mean, those, Come on. I'm, I'm not joking, but it, it just goes to show how important those networks are. Yeah, yeah. And you got to ask for it. If you don't ask for the offer, nobody's going to give it to you. Was your brother a uh, fleet? We were, we were going to talk about your brother. Was he, he a fleet Navy? He, he went to Bud's and mm-hmm. it just... It broke. Oh, yeah. He had the injury issues. That's he, right. We talked about that. Yeah. I mean, he damn near retired with full disability. I, I mean, it, it worked that. him. Yeah. Worked him. Yeah. Sometimes your body can't handle that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And you never know. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no shame at all in the process no. if you get hurt. Well, of course. But that's who gets PTS the most. Yeah. The yeah. guys that get hurt. 
Yeah, it's true. Very true. Oh my gosh. Well, this is awesome. Having my first Navy SEAL officer on the podcast, my good buddy, Mike Lohorn. Thank you so much. I hope people will kind of take this to heart. And as always, reach out to me. I can put you in touch with different people. Let's learn how to network. You know, the network is not just for civilians. It's open to everybody. And I think, uh, you know, even if you don't know what you want to do, start networking. 100%. Because I have placed a few people in jobs. It was their fifth, you know, networking opportunity. And it mm -hmm. was something they didn't expect. And it just, you know, it's... Uh, Be uh, open to get surprised. Yes. And it's the same with the civilian world. I mean, you know, we, we all go through, you know, it's, it's no longer you stay in a job for 30 years. Mm -mm. And so uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Tell Flo I said hello. And Will do. He might be a cool guy to talk to, too, coming from the fleet. He's a writer now. Yeah. Doing TV stuff. That might be cool to get Let's float it by him. Let's float it by him. Maybe we'll bring you in and do a three-way podcast. All right, podcast. let's do it. So, all right, signing off, uh, episode 006, Bravo 16, with uh, Mike Lohan. Thanks, buddy. Thank you.